Morning. Uh, it's been a crazy week. I'm thankful to be here and kind of chill a little bit. So hopefully that's true for you guys too. Um, real quick, I just want to say thanks again to CJ and Jess Conger. They've been coming and leading us intermittently in worship. If you haven't met them, please say hi to them. Tell them thanks for giving up their Sundays, their own church. Um, encourage them to keep coming, maybe to come all the time. Um, so yeah, just want to make sure to mention that. So anyways, uh, going to give a little intro and a little context today because I know there's a lot of new people here since we kind of started down this road a couple of years ago. Um, my name's Steven. My wife, Lauren, and I have been on the mission team for two, three years now. Um, and about that time, we started kind of trying to rethink what's our strategy? What are we doing as a team? How are we going to do this? Uh, what are we about? And you might remember right before COVID, uh, whatever, a year and a half, almost two years ago now, we did a series, uh, Mission Month, where we kind of had a focus. And we spent a week, the first week, talking about the biblical basis for mission, right? We talked about God making a covenant with Abraham when he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the peoples of the earth so that my name will be great in all nations, all the peoples of the earth. And so <clears throat> we kind of followed that story then throughout the whole Old Testament, ultimately the whole Bible, throughout the Old Testament, coming ultimately to Jesus as the fulfillment of that promise which opens the door for all nations, for the Gentiles, for the peoples, not just the Jews, to know God through faith in Christ. And that's why we see uh, the genealogies tracing him from that as the fulfillment of that promise. And so we're kind of, and then we get the Great Commission where God commissions us to go, and as Mike said in his prayer and his welcome, go and make disciples of all nations. And so the next week then we ask the question, where are we at in this? Like how do we even quantify this, this idea of, of reaching all nations, because what we saw at the end of that first week was, in Revelation, we see men before the throne of God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So God's going to get what he wants. Are we there yet? Does he have what he wants? Can the end come? And what we found out is, no, it can't, because people who do this kind of research have found there's over 10,000 people groups on the planet, and a good portion of those, I think Jacob will talk about this a little bit, a good portion of those still have no access to the gospel, no church, no ability to hear about or believe in Christ, even if they wanted to. So we need, the church globally, needs to reach out to those unreached peoples around the earth. And so we as a team started asking, how can we, as a small church in central Illinois, very far from the ends of the earth, participate in that? And so one idea that came up was adopting a people group. And so we thought, you know, if there's these thousands of people groups that have no access to the gospel, why don't we as a church take one? And just hopefully someday be able to cross that one off the list and make it a focus of our church, of our ministry, of our mission team that will be consistent for years, for generations that your kids will hear about, that your families can know. And so we kind of explored how to do that. We connected with an organization called Ethnos 360 that has a long, long history of doing this and doing it well and said, hey, look, this is what we want to do. We have some resources to do it. What do you think? And they're like, wow, nobody's ever really asked us that before. That's Great, well, that's, we gotta think about it. Um, and so they came back with a few teams. We talked to those people. We kind of, not interviewed necessarily, but just had some conversations with them. And this team kind of rose to the surface. And you might remember three months ago, six months ago, I don't even remember, but LeBlancs were here. Uh, Michael and Morgan, the kids were up here. You probably remember him up here. Snapping for like a minute, and we're all like uncomfortably sitting. And he was talking about every snap, like people were dying and going to hell, never having heard the gospel. Um, so they were here. We did a pizza lunch in the back. A lot of you got to interact with them, ask them questions, get to know kind of them, their family, their ministry, what they're doing. And so this is sort of the second half of that team, uh, the Devolves. We'll have the same thing today. So after church, in the back, we got plenty of pizza. Every person here could stay, and there'd be enough pizza. I ordered way more than enough, I'm sure. So even if you didn't RSVP, hang around, free lunch, open forum, ask any questions you want of them, their kids, or just encourage them, whatever it might be. Um, so that's happening after church. But anyways, um, yeah, one thing I, I guess I can say about these guys, we've had them at our house for a couple days. We had the privilege of having LeBlancs at our house also. I think a lot of times we're, we're thinking about sending missionaries and we're like, let's send Joe. No job, no life, no family. <laughs> Who cares if he goes to Papua New Guinea? We never <laughs> see him, right? I mean, honestly, like, we kind of think that, and it's like, oh, we don't want to send Dave and Heather. Like, we need them. They're really gifted. They're really 
invested here. They're really whatever, right? But I think we have to kind of change our, our mindset of like, we want to send our best and our brightest. I mean, this is pioneering, difficult work for the kingdom of God. And so let's stop sending the leftovers. Let's send the best and the brightest. And so what I can say about these two families, having spent a little bit of time with them, they are some of the best and brightest that I've met. They have tons of opportunities. They're leaving great jobs, great families, great churches. They could very easily stay in America, be very comfortable, live out their lives, serve God here, and be very happy. But they're choosing to give all that up, to move to a terrible, a terrible place <laughs> by our standards to live in the middle of the jungle uh, with disease and sickness and uneducated, dangerous people and lots of things. Uh, and so, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys, like, we have a really cool opportunity to partner with really wonderful people that God has gifted and called in an amazing way to do an incredible work. So we're privileged to have them here. Um, if you want to come up, Jacob, and get going, I'm going to pray as he comes up, and uh, then I'm going to kick it off to him. So, God, thank you for your great plan that was in motion even before the creation of the world, even before man sinned and rebelled against you, God. You intended to have a diverse, created group of people all over the planet, a diverse reflection of your glory, because we can't any one of us capture your image in its fullness. And so you created all kinds of colors and languages and cultures and things to just represent the, the beauty and complexity of who you are. And so we just pray that we would recognize that, and we thank you for that, um, that that's not a mistake, that that's not a consequence of the fall, but that that was intended before time. And we thank you that Jesus is big enough and his sacrifice sufficient to save men from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we thank you that you give us, as a church and as individuals, the opportunity to partner in that each day of our lives here in Eureka or uh, as an extension through the, the Devolves and the LeBlancs. And we just ask that you would um, empower them, empower their ministry. God, give us open ears and open hearts to listen today. Uh, give Jacob your words to speak uh, to us. And we just thank you most of all for Christ and his sacrifice, and we pray this all in his name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. You can all hear me, right? I can hear myself, so very good. <laughs> we are very happy to be here. Uh, like Stephen said, my name is Jacob, and my wife is here with the little baby over here. That's, that's why we're back in the States right now, actually, because we had to give birth to our, our daughter there, Phoebe, uh, and then Gideon and Ada are in that picture, too. Uh, so yeah, we are super thrilled to be here with you guys, and uh, super thrilled that all you kids are here too, and in fact, I would like to talk to you kids first. Is that okay if I talk to you guys first? You guys okay with that? We'll just forget the adults are here, forget your parents are here, and I'll just talk to you guys. Because uh, kids play an important role in missions too. Sometimes we think about missions, and we think about adults doing crazy things, right? Go moving halfway around the world, but kids play an important part in missions too. If you want to go to the next slide... Uh, you'll see a picture of our two older kids with three of their best friends in Papua New Guinea. So that's uh, Amy there over on the left. Actually, you can be praying for her. She's um, pretty, she's, she's very sick and in the hospital right now. I think she has a kidney infection or a liver infection, something like that. But, uh, and then we got Nathan and Nico there too. And uh, you know what's really cool about kids? It doesn't matter where you go in the world, kids always want to do the same thing. You know what that is? What do you guys love doing the most? Playing, right? You guys like to play, right? So yeah, these kids just love to play too. Uh, our kids love to play with them. Uh, and I'd actually love to show you guys a little clip if you want to go to the, the next. I hope it's a video in here. It's a little clip of our kids just playing with the tribal kid. Yeah, so that is, uh, that's just a, a little image of a typical game that they might play in the middle of the jungle. So pretty cool, huh? I mean, that, that is about, that's a very remote place that we were just in. That's the only way to get into that place, it's called the Paul people, the Paul tribe. The only way you can get in there is uh, by a helicopter. You have to hop on a helicopter to get in there. You can't really hike in. You could if you were willing to hike five days, but you might not make it. So we take a helicopter in there. But kids are pretty much the same everywhere you go. And the awesome thing is, is our kids really help us because they open a lot of doors for us that wouldn't be open otherwise. We get to go into people's homes because of our kids. Our kids uh, soften the people's hearts so that we can talk to them. It's really cool. So you as kids, I don't ever want you guys to think that you don't play a role, that you don't play a very important role because you do. 
Very important role. So I want to ask you guys a question, and I'm going to need some feedback, okay? The question is, when you want to learn about God, or if you want to learn about Jesus, how do you learn about him? What sorts of things do you guys use to learn about God? If you raise your hand, I can call on you. Yeah, I see a hand right here. Read the Bible. Yeah, that's awesome. You got another one? Go to church. Yeah, that's awesome. We're at church right now. Anyone over here? Have a thought. How do we learn about God? Yeah. I think I'm going to need a translator for this one. <laughs> Can you shout it out really loud? That's okay. Do you want me to help you out? Do you sometimes ask your parents to help you? If you have a question about God, do you sometimes ask your parents? Maybe not. Maybe your parents don't know very much. That's okay. <laughs> but some of us have parents that know a thing or two, so we ask them. Um, I don't know. Any other ideas? Do, do you guys ever pray? you ever ask God to help you? Yeah. Yeah, praying is good. But here's another question. What would you do? How would you learn about God if you didn't have any of those things? If you didn't have a Bible, if you didn't have parents that knew about God, if you didn't have a church, if you didn't know how to pray, yeah, what, what would you do? How, how would you do it? Go ask other people. Yeah, now what if no one in your whole village knew about God? That would be tough, huh? That would be really tough, wouldn't it? Well, guess what? That is why missionaries exist. Because sometimes there are people that don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have a church in their language. They don't have a pastor. Their parents don't know about God. They've never been taught how to pray. They don't know who God is. And so the only way for them to learn about God is for missionaries to go and to teach them about God. And uh, what I need, I need, I need one brave volunteer. Does somebody want to come up on stage with me? Somebody? Oh, that was a quick hand. I'm going to guess you don't want to come up. Do you? <laughs> Do you want to come up? No? Anybody? Yeah, you want to come up and help me? Give it up for the, the girl in the awesome dress here. What's your name? Deva. Oh, wonderful name. Okay, I need you to help me stretch out this piece of paper. Can you help me do that? So you grab that and you run it out. Okay, so what we're doing here, whoa, 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 you are fast. Very good. Okay, so this piece of paper, it, you're, you're not going to be able to see it, but it's going to get longer and longer. Are we running out of room? Man, oh, man. Keep going if you can. We're getting close to the end. Okay. I think this is size 10 font on here. Almost at the end. Okay, here we go. The length of the whole stage. Like Stephen was talking about before, there's about 10,000 people groups on the planet, and there are, I believe, about 6,500 names written on this piece of paper, representing all the people groups that still have no Bible in their language. And you can see it runs the length of the whole stage. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That's a lot of names. In fact, I'll leave this up here, and afterwards, you guys can come up and look at it, and you can read some of the names. Thank you so much, David. You can go back and sit down if you want. If, yeah, thank you. Yeah, in fact, I'd encourage all of you at some point to come up and look at this, because there are a lot of names still on this list, that have no Bible, that have no gospel witness in their language. That's kind of sad, isn't it? That's a little maybe unfair, too. So this is what I want you kids to do, okay? When you guys leave here, when you guys go home today, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the names on this page. I want you to think about the fact that they don't have any way to learn about God unless somebody goes and tells them about God. So when you go, talk to your Sunday school teachers about it. Talk to your parents about it. Ask questions. And the one other thing I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pray, too. And when you pray, I want you to ask God, how can I play a role in bringing the gospel to people who have never heard before? You guys think you can do that? That's not too hard, right? Okay, well, awesome. I want to thank you guys for coming and listening. And you guys can be dismissed. Go to your classes. And uh, we'll see you guys after for some pizza, right? Are you guys not excited for pizza? Okay, David is. David's excited.
kids truly are a great, our kids are truly a great benefit to what we do in Papua New Guinea. What I want to do is I want to read you guys a couple letters. These are letters written by tribal people to New Tribes Mission. And I'll let you know ahead of time, I'm probably going to cry, so don't, don't judge me. I'm also working off limited sleep here because of our two-month-old. So it's, it's just a lack of sleep. It has nothing to do with emotions or anything like that. All right, so this first letter is from the Anu people. Hello, good morning. I'm Aipanaino. I am the leader of the Anu village. Now I'm carrying a big heavy about getting a missionary. Please, us dark ones of Anu are truly afraid for our lives. I've also got a worry for my friends here who live in darkness. So then I've got this worry. Are you able to come and wash my eyes so I can see or not? Do you ones have a worry for those of us in the dark or not? <sighs> Sorry. I think we stink like rotten meat or what? Is that, why you send <coughs> is that why you send no one to plant a seed in our Anu place? This is not new. For 18 years we have carried this heavy for nothing. You know what, I'm not even going to read the second letter. It's, it's, it's these people, it's, it's the people like this. I'm, I'm sorry, I apologized. It's letters like that, it's people like that that are the reason why we're doing what we're doing. So um, let me back up a little bit. I know you guys don't know us very well, so if you want to go the, to the next slide, um, this will be a wonderful picture of Katie and I back in high school. This is, this is a picture around the time of when we first met, back when I had much longer hair. And uh, well, Katie looks the same. She still looks exactly the same, so she hasn't changed a bit. Um, but yeah, so, so we met in high school. We didn't go to the same high school, but we went to the same church, uh, grew up in wonderful Christian families, went on short-term mission trips and all that sort of stuff. And um, I always kind of felt from a pretty young age that missions was something that could be on the table for me. I, I didn't know, I wasn't like diehard, I'm going to be a missionary, but I thought it was something that, that maybe I could do eventually. So anyways, Katie wasn't really on the same boat. She was always a strong Christian, but Maybe thinking more of, you know, the, the, the classic uh, house or the white picket fence and two and a half kids, that sort of dream. Uh, so anyways, we, we grew up, we went to college, we, we split ways. She went to the University of Connecticut, I went to Liberty University, and it was really at Liberty for me where I was just convinced more and more through the scriptures, through reading God's word, that missions was a big thing to God, and especially missions to unreached people groups. I was just convinced, convicted by the word. I never got some words in the sky or lightning bolt moment where God called me and told me, yes, you need to be a missionary. It was just a leading. And I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you'd have for me, I'm just going to start pursuing it. I'm going to start pursuing missions. And if you want to stop me or direct me as I go, go ahead. I'll follow you wherever you lead. And if you want to stop me and keep me here, then that's fine too. Uh, Katie's story is actually very different. I'm not going to share her story because she says I tell it wrong, but also it's better if she tells it anyway. So afterwards, definitely, definitely ask her what her story is. She did have one of those crazy moments, one of those missionary calls. We just like to share that just because sometimes, sometimes the Lord leads us and sometimes he punches us in the face and calls us to do something very clearly. Um, but sometimes we wait, don't we? Sometimes we wait for God to do something crazy and Maybe he's not going to do anything crazy. Maybe he's just going to lead you like he led me. But anyways, we, we, we uh, both felt like we were led and called into missions. So when we graduated uh, from college, we got married, and we started with New Tribes Mission. Uh, I'm going to say New Tribes Mission. You probably heard uh, Stephen say Ethnos 360. We, we went through a name change. So we're Ethnos 360, but in Papua New Guinea, we're still New Tribes Mission. So I'm just going to say New Tribes Mission to make it simpler and New Tribe's mission actually has some meaning to it. Ethnos 360 is kind of like, I don't know, like a boy band or something <laughs> like that. So New Tribe's mission, tri don't let it confuse you. We're New Tribe's mission. So anyways, we, we decided to start training with New Tribe's mission. And uh, we started in 20, uh, 2014 or 2015. 2014, 
started training with them, and uh, we just got to the field to Papua New Guinea. You can go to the next slide. Uh, this is a, a map of Papua New Guinea. We got there in January of 2020. And what we did there when we, when we got there was we started learning the national language and culture. And I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, we went over there with two of our kids, and now, now we have Phoebe as well, so now we have three. But it's, it's just a tiny little country. It's about the size of California, same landmass as California. But in this little country are over 850 distinct language groups. It's the most diverse place in the world. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> it, it really is crazy. Um, so anyway, this is where we chose to serve. There's still a huge need in this country. Um, but before I talk about how the people think, what I want to do with you guys today is I, I, I want to give you guys a window into how the people of Papua New Guinea think. But before I do that, I want to do a, a quick overview of, of what we're going to be doing as church planners in Papua New Guinea. I know Michael and Morgan were here a little while ago, a few months ago, and they shared about this. But let me just give a quick refresher for good context for what we're doing. So you can go on to the next slide there. Uh, the, these are kind of the steps of what we're going to be doing. So like I said, we've already been in Papua New Guinea for a year and a half. Uh, we've been learning the national language and the national culture. And our next step is to move into a tribe. So when we move into a tribe, it's going to be a tribe that has no written language and they have no gospel witness, no missionaries, anything like that. So when we move in, it's going to involve uh, land agreements and building a house, getting our family settled, so that step number two, what we're going to do is learn the language and culture. Again, I'll talk a little bit more about this uh, in a little bit, but it's so important that we learn the language and the culture first. We want to communicate in their heart language, in a language that actually speaks to their hearts. Uh, and then secondly, we need to know their culture because we need to know how they think and how they communicate. We can say all the perfect words, but if it doesn't communicate, it doesn't mean a thing. And then the third step there is, is to begin translation. So once we learn the language, we actually are going to have to create an alphabet and then teach them how to read and write because we want them to be able to handle the scriptures too. If you look all the way down to step number seven, the last step is maturity. We want a mature church. And you can't have a mature church if they don't have a Bible that they can read, right? They need to be able to handle the scriptures for themselves. So we're going to start translating before we even start teaching because when we teach, we want them to be able to hold the scriptures, some of the scripture in front of them, and so, so that they can see that we're teaching from the scriptures so that they're not convinced by our words or by our wisdom, but by the word of God. So we'll start translating. Uh, obviously, the Bible is huge. So all throughout the rest of these steps, translation will continue to go on. Step number four, teach chronologically. We'll start from creation, teach to Christ, all the way to the end of the story, into Revelation. And hopefully at that point, we'll have a church be born, baby Christians. And then that's where the real work begins. Because that great commission doesn't just say make disciples, but it says teach them to obey everything, everything that I have commanded you. It's a lot of things. So... When Jesus talks about making disciples, he's not just talking about becoming a Christian. He's talking about being a true disciple, following after Christ. He's talking about his truths affecting every single area of their lives. So that's the goal. So the church is born, and then we start discipleship. That, that's going to be years and years and years. I can't put an exact time frame on it, but all these steps are probably going to take, I would guess, a minimum 15 years, probably 15, 20, 25 years, something like that, before the church is mature enough to where we can pull out, and they don't need us anymore. Our goal as church planners is to work ourselves out of a job, because we can't be there forever. We don't want them to be dependent on us forever. We want them to get to the point to where when we leave, they are self-sustaining, and they are self-propagating, and they themselves are engaging in the Great Commission, which is a pretty lofty goal, but that's why you guys are supporting us and praying for us, which is awesome. So that's kind of like the bird's eye view of what we're going over to do. I said that pretty quickly, but, you know, that's, again, 15, 20, 25 years. There's a lot that goes into each one of those steps. But like I said, what I want to do for you guys this morning is I would like to give you a little window into how the people in Papua New Guinea think. And we're going to explore this idea of why it's so important for us to learn their language and their culture, specifically their culture. So if you want to go to that next slide. This is a guy, uh, his name is Jeffrey. He lives in Papua New Guinea. I met him very early on when we moved to the country. Uh, he's an awesome guy, very quiet, pretty shy, but, but um, 
but an awesome man. And uh, if you met him today and asked him what religion he is, he would tell you that he's Roman Catholic. In fact, just down the road, maybe a 10, 15-minute walk from, from his village, there's a big Catholic church. And everyone in his village would tell you that they're Catholics. Uh, well, probably not the witch doctors, but everyone else would tell you that they're Catholics. The, the, the witch doctors aren't invited in the Catholic church, so they're not welcome. But anyways, everyone else goes. And um, I thought, oh, wow, that, that's pretty crazy. And, and it's not just a Catholic church run by, like, Western uh, missionaries or priests and nuns. It's actually run by the nationals there. And uh, so I was like, wow, that, that's, that's pretty crazy. You almost start thinking, why am I even here? Like, okay, Roman, they're Roman Catholic, but, you know, they have missionaries and they have some of the truth. But then you start to get to talk to them more and understand the way they're thinking. So this guy, Jeffrey, pretty quickly, I came to realize that he's really afraid of a lot of things. He's really afraid of the bush, the jungle. Uh, and whenever he's, on the ju- whenever he's in the jungle, he only follows certain paths to get to his gardens, uh, and his gardens are, you know, a mile, a couple of miles into the, into the jungle, and, and he's very careful, and, you know, so I started asking him, why don't you take this path, why don't you take that path, why do you only take this path? He's like, oh, well, because there's bad angels down that path, and bad angels down that path, and you see that rock over there, there's one angel that hides behind that rock, and that really tall tree up there, there's another one that hides up in that tree. I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that sounds like a good reason not to go down there. You stick to your path. So, you know, time goes on, and uh, our relationship deepens, and I start talking to him more, asking him more questions, uh, and we start going deeper into this. And he starts talking to me about how, yeah, the, the, bad, the bad angels are out in the bush. The good angels are here with us in our village and in our houses, and they bless us. They bring us blessing, especially the angels in our houses. And then, um, you know, we start talking about, about it more, and he says, but sometimes... The bad angels come into our village, too. Sometimes they come into our houses. I said, oh, how, how, do, you, how do you know when they come in? He said, well, I, somebody in my house might get sick. Maybe my house starts falling apart. Maybe I get sick. My wife or my kid gets sick or something. He's like, I, I don't know. If something goes wrong, that's how you know a bad angel's in my house. Oh, okay, okay. And then he says, and this is how we deal with it. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be really good. So he says, um, yeah, when I think that there's a bad angel in my house, that means that he's kicked the good angel out. So what I do is I, I make a meal. Right before bedtime, I make a meal of like potato, uh, potato soup type thing, and I put it in the corner of my house. And before I go to bed at night, I pray to the food. He doesn't pray to an angel. He doesn't pray to God. He prays to the food. Remember, this guy's Roman Catholic. Prays to the food, and he says, please, food, bring, uh, bring a good angel back so that he can kick this bad angel out of my house. Okay. Then he goes to bed, he wakes up in the morning, and he says he goes and looks at the food, and there's bites taken out of the food, and that's how he knows everything is going to be okay. And he tells me, yeah, then my kid gets better, or my wife gets better, or I'm able to fix my house, or whatever. All of his problems go away. That's pretty crazy, right? Here's this guy claiming to be a Roman Catholic, but he prays to food and has this ritual to cleanse his house of sickness of disease and evil spirits. And uh, uh, I share you with, uh, actually, the, the story goes on further. After that, he looks at me and he says, you know what, Jacob? I'm pretty sure this is not a good thing to do. And in fact, everyone in our village does it. And we all hide it from the priests down the road because we know that they'll be mad at us if they find out. <laughs> but then he said, you know what? I don't know what to do. I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to listen to. Should I listen to the priests or should I listen to my ancestors? His ancestors were the ones that taught him to do that. And they think it's worked for them for millennium now. So he has this big quandary. Who do I listen to? Do I listen to the Catholic missionaries? Or do I listen to my ancestors? He claims to be Roman Catholic, but here's the problem is when these Roman Catholic missionaries came through, they never took the time to get to learn and to understand how these people think. And what goes on in their daily lives. When they go to church, it looks like they're Christians. They do all these Christian-looking things. But then they get back to their normal lives, and they're acting just like animus, pagan animus, doing all these things that they've done for forever that aren't Christian even in the slightest. In fact, he calls the good angels and bad angels angels because he learned that from 
going to <laughs> church down the road. He used to call them Masalai, now he calls them angels. So he thinks he's Christian because he calls them angels. They didn't take the time to understand what was going on in this man's life or any of their lives because they all do it and they all just hide it. When you don't take the time to get to understand how these people think, how they interpret, they're just going to add what you share with them into what they already believe and what they already believe is going to be the majority of what they continue to believe. Unfortunately, that's just the truth. So, man, we got to take the time to get to know how these people think, how they interpret the world. You can go to the next slide. This is uh, a group of uh, nationals here that I actually managed on one of the bases. This, in this base, we support missionaries in the bush. So that lady who's standing right next to me to my right, her name is Teresa, and uh, she's an awesome lady. Uh, she's, she's pretty elderly for Papua New Guinea standards, and she kind of, you know, she's like kind of my mom type of thing. But uh, she's, she's a wonderful lady. She happens to be related to the, uh, the landowner where we live, and uh, she has a nephew that passed away, I don't know, maybe about six months ago. He was about my age. So he's about 30 when he passed away. Now, you have to understand, in this culture, uh, she considers herself this guy's mom. She's actually his aunt, but she considers herself his mom. Okay, so this guy dies. It, it was really sad. He was, he was very young, 30 years old, and everyone's, you know, really sad mourning. They set up these, uh, these little huts that they mourn in for days and days and days. And uh, it was it was pretty crazy. And uh, at one point during this whole process, I think it was about a week into it, another part of the family who lived far away came in and they started beating her. Um, like beating her, not they weren't going to kill her, but they start beating her where she gets bloody and bruised. And we found out about this. She came to work and she was all bruised and everything. We're like, what, what happened? And she tells us. And, and we were just, I mean, like, what's going on here? Why would, why would this other family come and start beating her? That, like, if we can't understand this, we, we don't know what's going on, right? I mean, that's a big thing. Why is this beating taking place? We don't understand it at all. We better understand it. We better figure it out. So anyways, we start digging, doing some cultural digging, and we end up finding out that there's two things driving this, two factors driving this practice. And, and this is not rare. This is something that happens often in this region. So there's two things driving it. The first one is that these people are community-oriented, okay? Sometimes I think maybe in the West we idolize uh, community mindset. We're pretty individualistic. So we think, man, if we could just be more community-oriented, oh, I would be so much better. Maybe it would be. But that's not going to solve our problems because the way these people think is, man, you are not an individual. You are part of the community, and you're for the community first. So when we went to this guy's funeral... Everyone stood up, and they didn't talk about being sad that he, was, that he himself was dead. They all talked about how they were sad that they were missing out on all the benefits that he brought them. They, they stood up, and they said, oh, man, he was teaching our kids, and now our kids can't learn anymore. Oh, man, he was going to do a well project for us. Now we're not going to get that well anymore. Oh, man, he took care of pigs. Now we're not going to get the money that pigs bring in anymore. Over and over and over again, not a single person stood up and said, we're sad that this guy is dead, that he himself, that his soul has left us. It's all about what they're missing out on, okay? So that's the first factor. The second factor is fear, and, the, and it's, it's related to the first one, but fear of the spirits. So they have this mindset that um, when somebody dies, the spirits are going to be mad, and they're going to blame somebody for this person dying, and they're going to blame somebody close to the person that was responsible for taking care of them. So this family comes and beats this person because it is, it's their way of showing the spirits, hey, it's not our fault. Like, we, we, were, we were far away. We had nothing to do with taking care of this person. It was, it was her fault. It's their way of laying the blame on her shoulders and communicating with the spirits that it's her fault. So not only is it her fault that he died, but it's her fault that they're missing out on all these community benefits now. So pretty crazy, huh? Those two beliefs there lead to beating an elderly woman for a young man dying. Who, it wasn't her fault. He, he had cancer and he passed away. So again, we need to take the time to learn how these people think. 
We need to take the, lear- take the time to learn their culture, how they're understanding. Because when we share the gospel, we don't just want it to affect the way that they uh, act in church. We want it to affect their entire lives. We don't want it. She would say she's a believer, too. She belongs to a church. But man, the, and, and the, the other people who beat her belong to a church as well. But that's not very, li- very much like a Christian actions, is it? Beating somebody, build, beating an elderly woman. So again, it is important for us to take the time to learn. I want to share with you one more story. I don't have a picture of this guy, but his name is Kafo. And this one really hits close to home because he is, uh, he's actually a leader in one of the churches around here. He, he teaches from time to time. And uh, one day he sits down with me and he, he tells me about how they celebrate Independence Day in Papua New Guinea. And he's like, he's, he's going crazy. He's so excited to tell me about it. He says, yeah, we go into Garoka, this town here. And it's just this massive show. Unfortunately, we missed it because of COVID. They, sh- they canceled it while we were there because of COVID. But that's why he was telling me about it. So he said, yeah, they're just people come from all over. And we see the coolest things with the, you know, people putting on shows and all this. And he shares about this one time when he was at this celebration. And, and he was telling me about how people come from all over and they do miraculous things. They perform miracles and things like that. So I said, oh, tell me more about that. So he says, yeah, one time I was in Garoka at this show and this guy came from the islands. I don't remember which islands, but he came from the islands. And he had this big group of people around him. And he took a shoot of a banana tree, like a little shoot. You don't plant banana seeds, you plant shoots. He took it and he planted it in the ground in front of everyone, in front of all their eyes. And this man, Kafo, he said, with my own eyes, I looked at that banana shoot and I watched it grow up into a full-grown banana tree. I watched it put out a branch like this and then a bunch of bananas just formed in front of our eyes. And then he said, I watched the guy. He took down that bunch of bananas. He broke them up and he gave them to people and we all ate the bananas. And I said, oh, wow, that's... That's incredible. Is, is that true? He said, yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. Are you sure that's true? Yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. I was there. I ate one of the bananas. Okay, so obviously there's a few more questions that follow after a story like that. So I start peppering him with questions. And I, I really wanted to hone in on, okay, Kefo, you, you swear that this is true. So what do you think was happening there? What do you think was going on? He said, well, uh, I mean, th- this guy had some power to make that happen. Okay, so he has some power. Like, who has the power? Is it a spirit? Was he praying to us? No, not a spirit. Was it his power? No, it's not his power. Okay, th- then where is this power coming from? He said, well, he, th- the guy believed that it would happen and it came up. Well, okay, so he believed. So, so where's the power again? Th- did he believe that a spirit was going to raise it up and then the spirit raised it? No, 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 no spirits involved. Oh, Okay, did he believe in himself, that he had the power to make it come up? No, he didn't believe in himself. He just believed. He practices all the time, year after year after year, until he can make that tree grow. And he's like, no, it's not him making it grow. It's his belief making it grow. So now I'm starting to realize, okay, he believes, this man, Kafo believes that the power is in the belief. This man's belief itself is powerful. Okay, now remember, this guy's a pastor in a church. The power is in this man's belief. Now that gets a little scary because (laughs) then you realize if we were to go and we were to preach the gospel to a man like this and we said, you know, you you have to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're like, you have to believe. Well, that guy would go, yeah, of course. Of course you have to believe. But he, he doesn't believe that he's putting his faith in a person who has power to save him, he believes it's his belief. If he believes strong enough, he'll be saved. The power isn't in what he's believing in. It's actually in the belief itself. So you could see how if you just went and preached the gospel to this guy and told him you have to believe, he'd be confused. What I'm saying to him is not communicating what I wanted to communicate because he says, yeah, yeah, I got to believe. I got to believe hard and I got to believe strong and I got to practice my belief. It's not about what I believe in. It's about my actual belief. Man, things get sticky and things get weird if you don't understand the way people are thinking. It's the same way here, too. It's the same way in America. Oftentimes, we speak before we understand. Oftentimes, we evangelize before we know how our words are actually going to communicate to the ears that are hearing those words. So those are just, those are three little 
case studies. There's so more that I could, so, so many more that I could share. If you, if you want to talk more about it afterwards, I, I have way more stories I could share. But I share those with you just to highlight the importance of getting to know these people. This is why this is going to take so long. Because we don't just want baby believers. We want to bring people to maturity. So we have to understand before we try and speak into their lives. That's hard, but that's what we're going to be trying to do. Uh, if you want to go to the next slide, what, one of the things we had a great privilege of, of doing this year and a half while we were learning language and culture was we got to plug into this church here. So this is actually the first New Tribes Church plant in Papua New Guinea. Uh, these are the Yagarian people. This is just one of their local churches, but the, the church was planted in the 60s, uh, early to mid-60s, so about 60 years ago. It's a 60-year-old it's a church, and it was awesome. We got to plug in with them. We got to minister alongside of them, work with them, uh, listen to their teaching, and uh, they encouraged us. And it was really cool. We, we love doing this because we see ourselves as an extension of the local church, of the local churches here and of the local churches in Papua New Guinea. Uh, so they're going to be sending us out to a people group one day, too, which is awesome. But uh, it's so, so cool to get to plug in with them. And then if you want to go to the next slide, uh, while we were there, while we were working with them, it became very evident very clearly that they were great pastors, great teachers. They had even been trained in how to teach. Uh, in fact, if you sat under their teaching and you knew Pigeon, you'd be like, wow, this is, this is great. Maybe even better than the teaching you get here on a normal Sunday morning. Probably not. I'm sure you're great, but yeah. <laughs> but they're awesome. They're great teachers. But then what we realized is that they still just teach the same things that they had been taught 60 years ago. Because the missionaries came, the missionaries did a wonderful job. I'm not bashing on the missionaries. But the missionaries came and they wrote a bunch of curriculum, wrote a bunch of Bible lessons, chronological Bible lessons. And what these people do is they take those lessons and they teach through them. They get to the end. And then they go back and they teach through them again. And then they go back and teach through them again. Because they have never been taught how to study the Bible for themselves. So here, here this church is 60 years old. Never once, never once have these people had a Bible study. Not, not the pastors, not the lay people, not anyone in this church. So there are books of the Bible they don't even know are in there. And they're too intimidated to crack open the Bible and start studying for themselves because they don't, they don't know how. The missionaries did it for them before and taught them how to teach, but they don't know how to do it with new information, which is really sad because the Word of God is supposed to be living and active, right? But if you aren't gleaning truth for yourself, if the truth is only ever taught to you and you're never learning new truth, discovering new truth for yourself, it's not really living and active. And these people can't really grow. In many ways, these people are more mature than you and I, but in some ways, they're not. So anyways, this is, I, I don't share this to bash the missionaries that, did it, that planted this church 60 years ago, but we just saw an area where they weren't mature, so we started a Bible study with them to teach them how to study the Bible. So we started modeling. We went through the book of Acts, teaching them, um, and then later on in the process, once they were starting to get more comfortable with the inductive method, observation, interpretation, application, then we started, we put together material for them to teach them the basic principles of Bible study. This is me going through with them, teaching them how to observe things in the passage, how to highlight things, highlight different pieces of grammar, that sort of stuff, so that they can interpret based off of the observations that they make. It's really cool because these guys are so excited to do this. Uh, they wanted to meet every single night of the week, and I, I had to tell them, you know, I, I can't. I have a family. I have, I got to keep this base running. If I could, I would, but... We just ended up doing it two nights a week, and even that, they're like, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. They just wanted more and more and more. If you want to go to the next slide, th this picture might not mean much to you, but to them, they look at it, and it, it brings tears to their eyes because when we first started, I would ask them, we'd read a passage, I'd ask an observational question, and they, you, they'd look up, and they'd make up an answer, or they'd say something that was taught to them several years ago, and I'd be like, no, 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 look, I asked you a question, the answer's right here, it's in the text, just look down and look at the text, and now, every time there's a question asked, they immediately look down at the text, because they're looking for the answer in the Word of God, they're not looking for it in their thinking, or from what they've heard before, they're looking for it right there, so, starting with little baby steps like that, but now these, these guys are awesome, we, since, since this picture was taken, we've gone through the book of Jonah, where they started to take more of the lead, 
making observations, interpreting the book, making application to their lives, and now it's really cool to see how they're growing. I mean, it's, it's slow, very slow, but they're growing, and now you should hear the way that they talk. They talk, sometimes they almost get mad. They're like, why weren't we taught this before? One of the guys, he was, he was a kid when the original missionaries went through, and he said, if only I had been taught this 60 years ago, think of how much I could have grown since then. Think about how many more lives I could have impacted if I had known. He's, he's the meekest man you'll ever meet, but he, he gets a little bit angry. Not, not at the missionaries, just like, why don't I know? There are people in places in the world who are just dying to know more. Literally dying, and they don't have an opportunity because there aren't enough people to go and teach them. So anyways, this was a, this was a great opportunity for us. We're, we're thrilled to have had this opportunity because most missionaries don't get to see their church plant 60 years down the road. And here we are, these newbies to the field, and we get to see a 60-year-old church and, and see the ways they were really mature and see some of the areas where they were lacking. So now we have a better vision for what we need to work towards in our church plant, which is, it, which is really cool. It was a great opportunity. So I know last time when the LeBlancs were here, Michael got up here and he shared uh, about the Kuyu people. Uh, I'd like to share a little bit more about the Kuyu people as well because we are not sure that we're going to end up in, uh, amongst the Kuyu people, but it's very possible. Um, so Michael and I actually did the, the survey of these people. You can go to the next slide. This is just a picture of us flying into, uh, via helicopter into the Paul people group. Uh, this, is, this is where my kids were playing that video that I showed. So this is a people group that has had missionaries, I, I believe, since 2008. Is that correct? Yeah. So they have a church. Uh, they're, the missionaries are still there. They're still maturing and growing. I think they're about to mark some elders in the church, which is really cool, really exciting. And then Kuyu are off this way. So they're off to the west uh, of this Paul people group. They're really close. You can almost throw a stone and hit the Kuyu people, but it takes about, I think it took us about 10, 11, 12 hours to hike to them. It, this is the hardest place in the country to hike. It's, uh, you're either going up, straight up, straight down, or crossing a river. It's just incredibly difficult. There's a reason why these people aren't reached yet. So anyways, we went into this people group. You, you can go to the next slide. Uh, we did a survey. You know, Michael made a great video, but I know he showed it last time, so I'm not going to show the video again. I'll share about some of these uh, specific people here that you see in the picture. These are some of the Kuyu men that met us uh, before we even got there. And when we met them, they were so excited. It was, it was the craziest thing. When, when, when we met them, the first guy who saw us, he, he was almost like a little kid. You know how sometimes you meet a, a kid and they're really excited to see you, but they're too cool and they got to be like, I'm not excited to see you, but I really am excited to see you, but I got to stay cool. That's what he was doing. He was like shaking. He was so excited to see us because these people are like, like the Anu people. They've been asking for missionaries basically since 2008. They, they would hike to the missionaries in Paul, and they say, where are our missionaries? When are you going to send missionaries to us? And so now for the first time, they're seeing missionaries come in, and, you know, they thought we were going to be their missionaries. We were just going to survey them because we as an organization have to find out information before we approve a people group to send missionaries in. We, you know, we got to find out what's, what's their language like, how many people, do they already have missionaries, do they already have a gospel witness, what's their language vitality? Anyways, we, we went through, we gathered all this information, and the Kuyu people are now on the approved list, and, uh, and they're really high on our list for uh, a tribe to go into. Um, the, the, the guy that's directly behind me, his name is Philip. I'm the one sitting down on the stone there, and then Philip is behind me. Uh, he's he's uh, kind of like the leader, kind of like the chief of the people group. He's, he's very... Very well educated. He actually knows English. He knows the national language, and he knows English, and he can write in both of them, which is like, I, he's like the smartest person in the world, according to them. He is very smart. And uh, he said something very interesting to us while we were with them. He sat us down, and he was the guy kind of leading the charge, and he goes, you know, we have everything that we need for our bodies, which is pretty crazy, because we're looking around, and we're like, you guys don't live in a very good place we would say they don't have everything they need for their bodies. But he's like, we have everything we need for our bodies, but we don't have what we need for life, for spiritual life. And uh, we're like, yeah, you don't. You don't. Well, we didn't say that to him, but, you know, we're thinking, yeah, you don't. Because as we interviewed these people, 
uh, it became clear to us very quickly that they had no idea what the gospel was. They had heard the name of Jesus before. They've had Catholic missionaries before. They even have statues of Mary and that sort of thing and crucifixes and that sort of stuff. But they have no idea what the gospel is. It's still all works-based stuff. It's still all gaining power over the spirits and trying to live forever and all this animistic thinking. So these people do need missionaries. They do need the gospel witness. You can go to the next slide. Uh, th this picture, again, maybe it doesn't mean much to you, but they killed a pig for us and they, and they fed us uh, pork meat, which was awesome. I mean, they basically never eat meat. They, they try to use their pigs to get money, but they honored us by killing us a pig. And they fed the whole village here, too. You can see all those bowls lined up and they're ready to feed us. Um, just a huge honor. In fact, they, they had written a song for us. I believe years prior they wrote a song for us. And it was half in their language, in the Kuyu language, half in the national language. And then, so it was hard for us to follow, but the word new tribes was in there, so we made it into the song that they'd written years earlier. And uh, it was just so incredible to see. I mean, they had already cleared a helicopter landing for us. They apologized to us profusely. They're like, oh, we wanted to build houses for you guys before you came. And I said, no, no, that's okay. Don't build us houses. If, if, if we're going to come, we'll build our own houses. But they just, they're trying to do everything they can to get missionaries to come. These people are desperate, and people are dying waiting for missionaries to come. In fact, in Papua New Guinea, there's so many people asking for missionaries, so many tribes asking for missionaries, that I believe the policy now is we don't even consider sending missionaries into a people group until they've been asking for five consecutive years, at least five consecutive years. So that's the state of Papua New Guinea, and I know much of the rest of the world is similar to that as well. So these are the Kuyu people, um, and, uh, and it is very likely that we could end up with these people. And, and I know that you guys aren't really supporting us as much as you want to support a people group, which I think is awesome, um, because these people will be here until Jesus comes back. We won't. Us and the LeBlancs will be dead and gone long before Jesus comes back, but these people will remain. So I think it's awesome that you've adopted them to see the gospel go to them, not, not to just to keep us out there, but for the gospel to go to them, which is incredible. And, and we really thank you guys for that. And so when we go, if we go to these Kuyu people, I mean, we're going to go somewhere, but if it happens to be the Kuyu people, we want to do church planning amongst them. And we want a, to help grow a mature church there, a church that doesn't need us any longer. So what I want to do for you guys, I want to play for you guys two short clips so that you can begin to get an idea of what a mature church in Papua New Guinea looks like. These two clips are from the, the Paul people group. So that's the tribe that we flew into that already has missionaries, already has a church to hike into Kuyu. So the first video is of um, the Paul people singing a song in church that they wrote themselves. So, you know, before the missionaries were there, they didn't have any, like, church songs, Christian songs. So once they become Christians, they write their own songs, which is really cool. So if you want to play that first video and listen to their, their worship cool? I think that's cool. That sentence chills up my spine. Uh, this second video is, is a clip of one of the Paul teachers getting up in church, and he's delivering the message in church. And pay attention all the way to the end. He's going to ask them a question at the end, and, and watch how they respond. <laughs>
I think that's awesome. I, I can't imagine getting up here and asking a question and all you guys respond at the same time. But that's how they do it all the time. And I asked this guy, uh, Matthew, the guy teaching there afterwards, I was like, could, could you, did you hear anything of what anyone said? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he, point, he said, I know that person had the right answer and that person said it wrong. So I went and talked to them afterwards and like helped them correct it. I was like, that, that, I mean, I, I almost didn't believe him, but I think he can't. It's just crazy the way that they work and the way they do things. Their church doesn't look anything like our church looks here, but it's awesome. That's a picture of what we're shooting for, maturity. The Kuyu people themselves getting up and handling the word of God and preaching from, and able to read it, just able to read it, which is crazy. They can't read anything right now. These Kuyu people are illiterate as we stand here today. Um, and obviously, we're not just going for maturity in a church service. We don't just want them to be able to run a good church service. We're talking about the things we talked about before, right, with Jeffrey and with Teresa and Keiko. We want to change those things in their lives, too. We want to take the falsehoods, the false things that they're believing, and replace them with the truth. Not just add truth in, but to replace the false, the falsehoods with the truth. So that's what we're aiming for. I hope those videos give you a sort of an idea, a little glimpse into what we're talking about uh, as to maturity and what it looks like to plant a church in the middle of the jungle. And, and what I really want to say to you guys is thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I know the LeBlancs feel the same way too. Um, we truly look at ourselves as an extension of the local church, uh, as an extension of you guys, as an extension of the other local churches that support us, even the individuals that support us as well. Um, we're all called, if, 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 you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission was given to all, all of us. And uh, Jesus says in Acts 1-8 that, this, that he's giving the Spirit so that we can go to the ends of the earth. And not just to the ends of the earth. He says Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this here, right, Eureka and Roanoke and all these places here are like your guys' Jerusalem. And people need to be here too. I haven't come here today to tell you, like, hey, you need to pack your bags and get over to Papua New Guinea, too. Maybe some of you, God is moving you that way. Maybe today God is tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe he's been leading you for a while and you've been ignoring it. Or maybe you're just partway through the journey. But I also do know that lots of people are called to stay here as well and be lights just where you are right now. But thank you for helping us go to the ends of the earth because that's also part of the Great Commission. And thank you specifically for thinking of the people at the ends of the earth. Oftentimes when we're praying, we're, we're not praying for ourselves necessarily. We're praying for the, Ku, for the Kuyu people or, or for whatever people group we'll, we'll end up in. Our prayers are more for them than they are for us because if we go and, and we fail or whatever, I mean, that would be really sad and we'd be really upset. But the goal is for those people to know. It's not for us to have some wonderful missionary journey. It's for them to come to know their Lord and their Savior and their Creator. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for inviting us to come and to share about a little bit about what we're doing. And, and I, I really do hope you take advantage of talking. Uh, don't talk to me so much. Talk to my wife. You've gotten to hear me drone on and on about what we do. Talk to her. She's a good storyteller. She's got a lot of wisdom and insight too. So pick her brain. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys uh, eating pizza. And can I just... Pray for us, or I don't know if you want to pray. Okay, yeah. Can, let, we can all pray. So, if you, yeah, if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for your heart for the nations, that you are not just a God of certain peoples or um, smart people or rich people or anything like that, but that you care about all the people that you've created and that you do want your word and that you do want people from all over to hear about you and to put their faith in you. So, yeah, thank you for your heart, God. And I just ask that in this room here today, that for all of us, you would align our hearts with your heart. Wherever it is that you would have us be disciple makers, whether it's here or maybe a little bit further, maybe in a different state, or whether it be in another country, uh, God, just align our hearts with yours. Lead us and give us the, the faith to follow you wherever it is that you would have us. So thank you for 
everyone here this morning. And yeah, God, I just want to thank you for who you are and for your heart for the nations. Father, it is good to be able to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded that we have received power through your Holy Spirit to be witnesses from our neighborhoods to the nations. And, and Lord, I pray that your wisdom would abound in the Duvall family, that your grace would abound, that you would give them a spirit of endurance that would be reflective of the power that we have in the spirit raising Christ from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would wash the eyes of those who live in darkness and that you would enable Jacob and Katie and LeBlancs and others to, to be a part of your hands and feet washing those eyes. And Lord, that you would call them out of darkness into the light and that they would be a people who have received mercy and be brought into your chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for your possession. God, be glorified and be exalted. We pray this in your name. Amen.